uh, idea. Asked a lot of questions. Who is on the Lord's side? Who will leave the world's side? But I love the last verse because it answers them. And I hope that's your answer as well. Okay, young people, you can head out with my wife. And that's uh, about four years old under the sixth grade. If you want to head to them and some of the team, they'll be uh, going on here for a few minutes. And, uh, okay, got a few of them there. And, uh, of course, that'll be Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night as well. So you come at 7 o'clock, and you say, well, how long do you think the services will be on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night? Well, that depends on, uh, well, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I think we're getting them on the way out here. Um, that kind of depends on uh, the crowd, okay? You know what I'm talking about? The more rough the crowd, they're going to have to go a little bit longer. No, I'm just teasing. Okay, but anyway, so we'll look forward to those nights. I would say about 7.15, we'll probably, I mean 8.15, excuse me. <laughs> so you're getting real hopeful that 15 minutes, that's great. Okay, but anyway, so we'll look forward to that. Have a great time. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Can I, uh, do you know preachers have talk, you know, preacher talk? You know, every profession has its talk. You know, you're talking shop. You guys know what I'm talking about. Do you know preachers have talk too? Preacher talk, you probably didn't know that. Do you know what we call messages uh, after lunch? Do you know what we call them? Graveyard, graveyard, okay? So this is graveyard. Because not only do you have to preach, I've got to keep you awake. Now, that's going to be pretty tough. Uh, some of you are already in trouble. I can see it. And I'm telling you, if you didn't get your cup of coffee, brother, you better go out there and get that thing. And you better down that thing, get yourself a little caffeine high, or we're going to be in huge trouble. Now, I've never done it, but I, I love teenagers. Honestly, really love teenagers. I told you that this morning. I've never done it, but I've always wanted to get a big super soaker. You know what I'm talking about? Get that thing all loaded up, put it right behind the pulpit, wait for the first kid to go down and put them right between the forehead. Yeah, that'd be great. And I'm telling you, that'd be a shock of life. Kid going out to sleep, all of a sudden gets a nice water shot right between the eyes. Yeah, that'd be great. And haven't done it, I think I'm going to do it one of these days. And uh, uh, I'm telling you, I, I got to think I need to do it at summer camp because then you got time to make restitution, okay, before the thing's over. Uh, so the kid won't get too bad at you. But anyway, uh, so I'll, uh, I've always believed this. You put somebody to sleep, you have the right to wake them up. What do you think? Okay, so um, uh, hopefully won't have to wake up anybody, but I don't think that looks hopeful right now. I think we are in huge trouble. Okay, uh, but anyway, so that means we're going to have to be short, which is always famous last words with most preachers, myself included. Okay, but we'll try to be short. And if not, uh, you'll just you'll get your afternoon nap, and I'll, I'll just keep going here. Okay, uh, so anyway, okay, Hebrews chapter number 3, let's go back to Hebrews 3. If you weren't in Sunday school, you're coming in right mid-deal, mid and you might not catch everything going on. But Hebrews 3, we talked about, is the picture of a man who's in defeat, and as a result, not having any rest, lack of rest. And I'll tell you, in the day in which we live, there's a lot of people that are living in unrest. And they're not happy, they're not uh, enjoying life not happy with themselves, feel terrible, troubled. We talked about that, miserable, lack rest. Okay, so Hebrews chapter th uh, 3 describes that. And if you remember, if we'll just do a quick little recap here. Hebrews 3 starts with, we don't know God's ways. They didn't know God's ways. As a result, easily led astray. We're deceived by sin. And last of all, our heart got hardened. As we mentioned in Sunday school, the last three steps, guess what? <laughs> they were passive. They didn't know they were being deceived. They didn't know they were uh, being led astray, and they didn't know the hearts were being hardened. Only thing that could have prevented that was what? Knowing God's ways. Now let's continue uh, back uh, down the passage. It obviously says in verse number 12, Take heed, brethren, that's talking to us now, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So this whole deal is unbelief and departing from the living God. Now look down to, toward the end of the passage. Of course, using the children of Israel at Kadesh Barnea as the example, notice what it says there in verse number 15. While it is said, 
Today, if you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. Here it is again, as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, albeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. What's that saying? It's saying that some of the people provoked God to anger with their unbelief. In fact, most of them did. But the Bible says it wasn't all of them. So you tell me, who were the exceptions? Moses, Joshua, anybody else know? Caleb. There were three that did not provoke God to anger with their unbelief. So that's what it's saying there. Okay, but verse 17 goes, But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that, what's the next last two words? Believed not. And here it is. Let's look at the last verse. So then we see they could not enter in because of what? Unbelief. Now I want you to understand that one of those words there, unbelief or believe not, is not the classic word for unbelief. The word for unbelief is an A before the word believe. But there's another word used that's actually disobedience. In other words, it's like this. Unbelief always results in disobedience. And faith always results in obedience. Because the Bible says faith without works, that's obedience. Faith without works is, anybody know? It's dead. Okay, so what uh, Hebrews 3 is saying, okay, here's these people wandering for 40 years. There's only three exceptions, Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. Maybe some women, the Bible didn't talk about them, maybe some wives, etc. There's only a few that were uh, people who were believing. So for 40 years, they were wandering in the wilderness and living, of course, a life of not being in the perfect will of what God intended. Can I say this, friend? I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, you know what I think is going to be one of the greatest uh, disappointments? Uh, dis- not, that's not the word, disappointments. When we get to heaven, you know what it's going to be? It's going to be what God could have done in our lives if we'd have just trusted Him. We won't be disappointed with heaven, but we might be th- disappointed with what our life was. I'm telling you, friend, I don't know about you. All of us, because we're human, are going to get to heaven and realize that God had more for us than we took. But I don't know about you. I want to get to heaven and realize I got most of what God had for me. What, what do you think on the deal? So, so God's uh, telling him here that unbelief was their problem, which resulted in disobedience. You know, that's our problem too. So let's get to chapter number four, because chapter number four is a great chapter that talks about the opposite side. Remember, we talked about defeat or victory's exception. That was the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. God took care of them. Their shoes didn't wear out. Their garments didn't wear out. God took care of me, fed them every morning with manna from heaven. Okay, you say, what's manna? I don't know, but I think it's down to Dunkin' Donuts every morning. What do you think? Okay, I think that might be our manna down there. For you, maybe it's uh, Bowberry Biscuits and Bojangles. I don't know. But something around here is probably like manna was. Maybe those Bowberry Biscuits, I think they might have been manna. What do you think? I'm telling you, that would have been good stuff. Uh, but anyway, God took care of them every day, gave them manna. And uh, so uh, it's not like uh, there wasn't divine intervention. It's just not everything God wanted for them. I don't know about you, friends. I, want, I, 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 I know we don't live it perfectly. I want everything God wants for me. What about you? Because God's, uh, God has the best for us. So look at verse number 4. He's now cha- uh, verse, cha- verse number 1 of chapter 4. Look what it says. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem, here it is, to come short of it. I want to ask you, do you have concern that you might not get everything God intended for you? Do you know what God is exhorting us to do? He said, I want you to have fear, okay? This is obviously a healthy fear. I want you to have some deep concern that you don't miss out on everything I had for you. Do You know, I I don't know about you, friend, but uh, uh, God's will is is obviously what this passage is talking about. And when we step out of God's will, we don't get God's best. And he's saying, listen, we ought to fear stepping out of the will of God and missing out on all that God has for us. 
And yet many people do today. You know, I'm telling you, friends, I have seen it a couple times it's happened to me. I don't know if it's, it's something that's ever happened to you, but I've had men that were my age. I can think of two that I've had in the last couple of years. Tears are in their eyes as they were talking with me, and they said, Brother Van Gelderen, I've wasted my life. I don't know about you. I don't want to waste my life. Do you want to waste your life? I will tell you this. You can't do anything about yesterday, but you can do a whole lot about tomorrow. What do you think? See, God is saying, listen, we ought to have concern that we don't, we don't miss out. We don't come short of God's, what God has for us. We say, preacher, how do you come short of it? Okay, keep reading. Verse 2. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Wow. The Bible is saying the gospel. Now, what is the go- what's he talking about with the gospel? We talk about good news. Now, in the Bible, the word gospel is most of the time talking about what I would call the gospel of the sinner. In other words, men are lost, going to hell. You trust Jesus, he'll wash your sins away, keep you out of hell, give you eternal life. Okay, that's the gospel of the sinner. This passage, I believe, is a reference to the gospel of the saint. You say, what are you talking about? Well, what would have been the good news that Moses preached? I'll tell you what the good news was. You read the Old Testament, you know what it was. He was standing at Kadesh Barnea and saying, see that land over there? God's already given it to us. If you'll believe him, and, by, and as a result, obey him, that land is already yours. You'll just take what's already yours. That was good news, wouldn't it be? But you know what? They didn't mix it with faith. And you know what? It didn't do them any good. Did you know you can be in a great atmosphere, a great church, which I know you are? You can be in a church where people's lives are being changed and not change yours. You know why? Because you don't mix it with faith. Now, Brother Ken and I have the same distinction of being from the same church for several years together. And we were talking, as he mentioned the other day, about just some of those special days. That uh, particular church was planted out in the suburbs in the early 1970s. And literally 10 years later, it was probably running over 1,000. I mean, it just, it just took off. And I mean, most of it, most of the growth, there was some growth from other churches, but a lot of the growth was conversion, people getting saved. And it was just some exciting days. I don't know how to explain it. It was just unique days. Now, he would tell you, and I could tell you the same day, the same thing. There were times in those church services where God showed up. And you just knew God was working. Now, I, when I was, was a teenager, I thought, and this is going to shock you, I thought everybody in the church was an unbelievably good Christian. Did you know that? I thought they were all spiritual. I thought they all walked in victory. I thought they all sterling Christians. And do you know what I found as time went on? That wasn't true. There were people that were there every time the doors were open that went to jail. You see, the point is, some of them were in the same atmosphere, sitting next to people whose lives were being transformed because they were believing the truth, who weren't being changed at all. You know why? They didn't mix it with faith. See, the Bible is saying Moses preached some great sermons, but the people didn't mix it with faith. And do you know how much good it did them? Didn't do them any good. See, just because you're in a great church and hearing good preaching doesn't mean your life has changed. You've got to mix it with faith. Does it make sense? So you say, well, preacher, what's the Bible saying? Okay, look at verse number three. Here it is. For we which have believed do enter into rest. So the question is, how in the world do you enter into rest and the answer is, by believing. That's how you enter into rest. In fact, can I say this, friends? How do I put this? Believing is rest. Do you know that every single one of you in the pews right now, sitting in these benches, are believing? You know what you're believing? That the pew's not going to let you down. 
You know how I know that you're absolutely at rest in that pew? Because some of you have fallen asleep. No, no, no. Uh, because uh, why do I know? How do I know that you're at rest? Because you're not worried. I don't see anybody tensed up, grabbing on the pew in front of you just in case. I don't see anybody of you, uh, any of you hanging on the person next to you because the thing's about to collapse. I was preaching up at Faith here in Fredericksburg. I don't know. I think it was Brother Ken was there. I could be wrong on the exact time because he left. I went there at least once, maybe twice. I can't remember. But anyway, I was uh, preaching there in that old auditorium, the old wooden pews. I don't know if you've ever been over there. I was preaching along and saying, hey, now listen, young people, you're at rest. I was teaching kind of the same truth. I said, you're at rest right now. None of you too worried that the pew's going to collapse. And the whole student body broke out into laughter. I said, okay, tell me, what am I missing? What did I miss? said, two weeks ago, one of the pews collapsed. Okay, okay. So uh, maybe not a great illustration. Okay, but the point is, uh, the point is, you're right now at rest. Right. Why are you at rest? Because you're not worried. You have complete confidence that bench is going to keep you up. You're not worried about it at all. You see, belief is rest. If you're trusting God, you're at rest. Let me ask you a question. Um, when somebody is believing God that their sins are washed away and on their way to heaven, how much do they worry about going to hell? And the answer is, not at all. <laughs> Why? Because they're believing. They're at rest. They're believing that God says true. Their sins are washed away. Going to heaven. Wow. At rest. So faith is rest. See, that's what God is telling. Help us to understand. It's not just a result of rest. It is rest. <laughs> now, this passage of Scripture is helping us now understand this. And we don't... not. Long we got to go. For time's sake, let's just go to verse number 11. Let's look at uh, verse number, uh, let's start verse number 10. For he that is entered into his rest, talking about God's rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Now you need to understand something about faith, and that is faith is faith in God, not faith in yourself. Can I put it this way? When you enter into rest, you cease from self-dependence. You cease from your own works. So I want to ask you a question. If you're saved on your going on, to heaven, uh, way, on the way to heaven, how much are you trusting your good works to get you to heaven? And the answer is, not at all. You've ceased from your own works. In fact, you can't get saved until you cease from your own works. When you get saved, you realize, none of the stuff I'm doing can save me. I'm trusting Jesus to do it all because I can't do any of it. In order to get saved, you have to cease from your own works. Now, I got really good news for you. That's not just good for salvation, it's good for the Christian life. How much self-dependence can a seeking sinner have before he can't get saved? Too much self-dependence. How much self-dependence can a seeking sinner have before too much can't get saved? And the answer is, he can't have any. So how much self-dependence can a seeking saint have who wants victory over sin? How much seeking uh, self-dependence can a seeking saint have who wants defeat, uh, uh, victory over defeat? How much can he have? And the answer is, he can't have any. See, don't miss this, that one of the keys to the Christian life is ceasing from your own works. Now, don't get me wrong. You have to understand that people who are resting and trusting are very active people, but they're not trusting themselves, they're trusting Jesus. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. How about this one? Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. You see, it's a total dependence on Jesus to spiritually strengthen us to do what we could not do unless he strengthened us to do it. It's recognizing self-dependence will never cut it, and physical strength cannot do spiritual things. We need God to supernaturally strengthen us to do what's impossible without that supernatural strength. So faith 
is ceasing from your uh, own work, ceasing from self-dependence. And then uh, what happens when you believe God is you obey, but you're not trusting your, your physical strength. You're obeying, trusting Jesus to enable you to do a miracle. Okay, I, I, I may have used this illustration before, but when Peter walked on water, I want to ask you a question. Did he use physical strength? And the answer is, well, yeah, he did. He had to get out of the boat. He had to take steps. But I want to ask you, how much was he trusting his physical strength to walk on water? And the answer is, not at all. Because I don't care how strong you are, you can't walk on water. Did you know that? That's the Christian life, friends. You know what Peter had to do? He had to cease from self-dependence. You know what he had to say? I can't walk on water. Now, I'm going to obey Jesus because he told me to come. But I'm trusting him to supernaturally intervene and allow me and enable me to do something I could never do unless he enabled me to do it. And that's exactly what happened. That's a great illustration of living the Christian life, ceasing from your own works. And what happened when Peter got out of rest and got his eyes off Jesus and got in turmoil? What happened? Down he went. Down he went. Okay, now, that brings us to the verse here that we're getting somewhere now. Look at verse number 11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of, what's it again? Unbelief. What are we talking about? Kadesh Barnea. Unbelief. He says, don't do that. So he says, labor to enter into rest. Now, does that seem odd to you? Labor to enter into rest? You see, some of you, when you go home, I know exactly what you're going to do. You're going to head for your bed. You know what I'm talking about? You can say that preacher was a great setup, man. I'm ready to go. Okay, and you're going to head to that bed, and what are you going to do? You're going to turn to your spouse, and you're going to say, Honey, oh, I need to take a nap. This is going to be so hard. I'm going to need to labor to enter into rest. Now, I don't know about you. I don't have to labor into rest. You know what? I sit down in my memory foam. It swallows me up, and, Brother, I'm dwelling in Beulah land. You know what I'm talking about, Brother? We are in Beulah land. This is great stuff. Okay, yeah. You say, well, what's the Bible talking about? Labor and enter into rest. Okay, here's the word labor. Give diligence. Do you know what it means? Give diligence to entering into rest. So I got a quick question for you. How do you enter into rest? And the answer is by believing. So how do you labor into rest? It's simple. You give diligence to nurturing faith. You know, most of us have a faith problem, don't we? You say, preacher, I'd really like to... I'd like to nurture faith. In other words, I'd like to take that tank, uh, my, if I can use that illustration of a gas tank, and I'd like to fill my faith tank up. Would you like to fill your faith tank up? You know, the Bible's telling you such what you need to do. You need to fill your faith tank up. I mean, you need to nurture faith, man. You need to do it. You need to give attention to nurturing faith so that you can live a life of, of believing God. We say, preacher, how do you nurture faith? I mean, how do you do that? That's a really good question. You know what let's do? Let's read the next verse and see if maybe something will come up off off the page. So what's the next verse says? Say, for the word of God is quick and powerful. The first thing that will nurture your faith is the word of God. Did you know that? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Second thing that will nurture your faith is found two verses later. Okay, and here it is. We'll just see it real quickly and we're almost done. Look what it says. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Verse 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. First thing to nurture your faith is the Word of God. The second thing to nurture your faith 
is spending time with God. Getting behind the veil and, and uh, coming to the throne of grace and asking for mercy. You know what asking for mercy is? It's asking God, Lord, you know what mercy is? Not getting what you deserve. Mercy is inferring that we've sinned and we need forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9. You know what grace is? It's getting what we don't deserve, like we talked about this morning. God, I need some grace. I need some help. God, I'm struggling. God, I need some grace. It's spending time with God, the one who understands because he's been tempted in all points like ours. We are yet without sin. Now, these can be fully developed, but I will tell you this. If you spend time in the Word of God and you spend time in the throne of grace, you, be, you don't even realize that you're filling your faith tank up. You know why we have our devotions? Not to check off the list, to meet with God. Because when you meet with God and Jesus becomes real to you, you don't have a hard time believing Him. You know, that's one of the reasons, I don't know, certain times I've mentioned this, uh, that's one of the reasons spending extended time with God is important. I know people who spend an hour with God every day, and I will tell you, they will tell you it's absolutely life-changing. Now, don't get me wrong, spending 45 minutes with God is better than spending five minutes with God. Don't get hung up on the hour, but it's spending time with God, extended time with God. My home church, I was passing down the hallway, a dear senior saint there, and She's uh, from one of the islands down the Caribbean, and I called her name out. I said, Barbara, how's your hour with God going? She looked at me, and she said, now, Dr. Jim, that's what they call me there. Dr. Jim, you know I can't spend an hour with God. She said, I've got to spend two. <laughs> I don't know about you. I kind of like that, don't you? You know why she has to spend two? Because she needs her faith tank filled. The more you spend time with God, the more you want to spend time with God because you want your faith tank. You want to believe God. When you get that faith tank filled, you're at rest. And you know what happens? You begin to know God's ways. Your confidence in God grows. You know what happens when your confidence in God grows? You're at rest. You don't have to wonder what God's going to do. You know what he's going to do. You know why? Because you know his ways. See, that's the idea of this rest. It's living with complete confidence in God. But you've got to fill your faith tank up. And let's just be honest, in our culture, there are a lot of distractions. You know, I don't know what your commute is, but for some of you, your commute could be turned into meeting with God. I'm not against listening to the radio, but I'm telling you, it can be depressing. <laughs> you know, I'm telling you, I'll tell you, why don't you spend time with God first? Spend your commute on the way in, spending time with God, and at least you got some, you got some uh, faith, okay, so when you hear all the bad news on the way home, okay, you got something how to cope with all that stuff. I'm telling you, friends, there's nothing like spending time with God. I don't know how many people I've said, you know, when I started spending time with God, extended time with God, sometimes I'll call an hour with God. I've started spending an hour. It was absolutely has changed my life. There's a young evangelist who's, who's this team is very familiar with, and he, he's told me, he said, when I started spending an hour with God, it absolutely revolutionized my, revolutionized my life. And I will tell you, it does that. You start spending time with God. That's what it's talking about. Spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, learning what it means to get behind the veil and, and get mercy and grace to help in time of need with confidence that God's going to intervene. You're feeding your faith. God says you better give attention to feeding your faith, nurturing your faith, filling up the gas tank of faith. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a really nice vehicle that was out of gas. I really don't have to talk about that too much because our team ran out of gas yesterday, except it wasn't a really nice vehicle. It's our 2001 excursion, okay, which has got plenty of problems. But anyway, it's a great vehicle. Uh, it's got that 7.3 liter diesel. But, you know, when that thing ran out of gas yesterday, or diesel, you know what happened? It wasn't worth much. 
Didn't get them here, wasn't going to get them here. What did they have to do? Well, they had to get more diesel back in the tank, get more fuel in the tank. I remember several years ago, it was probably, uh, probably about 15 plus years ago, uh, I uh, told one of my team members, our team vehicle at that time was a 2004, so I guess it had to be post-2004. Uh, I got, probably was about uh, 2004, 2005, somewhere in there. I told him, I said, uh, uh, when you take the van home, I wasn't going to be with him. I said, when you take the van home, make sure you fill it up on the way home. Well, you know what he did? He didn't do that. You know that not, sometimes you can give instruction to college kids and they don't do what you give them instruction to do? I know that's a total shock. But anyway, uh, I thought it was full. I told him to fill it up. I assumed he was going to fill it up. Uh, so uh, I got home, and I needed to use the vehicle. It was a team vehicle, and so I got this 2004 brand-new Chevy van. I mean, it was a 12-passenger, one-ton van, a beautiful vehicle. Uh, God had given us the means as a ministry to buy it. And, and so I got in that thing, and I was kind of you know driving down the road doing some uh, errands for our ministry, and all of a sudden, it didn't work anymore. And I coasted over to the shoulder of the road on 894 there in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I was, can I, can I tell you, I, I was exercised, okay? In other words, I was exercised, but I wasn't upset at that team member because I thought he'd fill it up. You know who I was exercised at? Chevy. How many of you say, oh, preacher, I've been exercised at Chevy a few times, okay? So I pulled over that vehicle, and I got out, and I'll be honest with you. I'm thinking, brand new vehicle, it doesn't work unbelievable. Now, you have to understand something. I owned a 98 GMC van as well. Now, my 98 GMC uh, full was, was this. The 2004 Chevy, they had reversed it, and so empty was this. Do you know ENF look about the same? Did you know that? ENF looked pretty close. Okay, so the, the thing, the, the, the needle was where it should have been, according to my 98 GMC. You know, leave it to government motors to do that. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, so anyway, boom, there it is. And uh, so I'm thinking, okay, you know, it's full. I'm not even thinking about it, possibility of being empty. So I called up, and I'll be honest with you, it was probably not a good testimony. I called up the Chevy dealership, and I'm saying, man, I got a brand new van. I can't believe it. Thing's not working. I know, yeah, you know, of course, that was still under warranty. Had that roadside deal on the thing, and they said, okay, we'll be over to pick it up. So they came over with all those big trucks, you know, you know, they're cranking up, you know, and, and I'm not real happy about it. They could tell I'm not real happy. Man, brand new vehicle, can't believe it. And, you know, so they take it into the, the Chevy dealership, and probably about three hours later, they call me up, and they say, now, uh, uh, sir, is this uh, Jim Van Gogh? Yes, it is. And uh, you 2004? Yeah, yeah. I said, well, wow, what was wrong with it? Still not real happy about it. They said, it was out of gas. Have you ever felt like an idiot? I felt like an idiot. I remember going over to pick that thing up, and brother, I had a dose of humility. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, that was one time, I hate to tell it, one time I was not going to give out a gospel tract. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I was going to tell them I was from the Mormon tabernacle. You know what I'm talking about? I was going to tell them. But, uh, but anyway, I, I, I got over there, and I'm telling you, I felt like every guy, I mean, they had a bunch of mechanics. I think all of them were looking at me. There's the guy. You know what I'm talking about? I came in there, got that 2004 Chevy. I mean, I walked out of there feeling like an idiot. You know, friends, when you and I run out of gas, it doesn't go so well, does it? Now, I got really the good news for you. You know what God's telling each one of us? You need to fill up the tank of faith. And you know how you know you're at faith? You're at rest. You're at rest. 
And you're not all at rest. You're in obedience. But your obedience is not out of constraint. It's out of rest. Which means your obedience, God's going to use it. It's going to be supernaturally attended. That's what it's all about. And so the challenge for all of us here tonight is, or this afternoon, which chapter are we going to live in? Chapter 3, no rest, unbelief, disobedience, doesn't work. Or chapter 4, rest, trusting God, and, and, and living in that uh, confidence in God's person and promises. Only two choices. Could I ask every head bowed, please, and every eye closed, heads are bowed and eyes are closed? You actually have done a wonderful job for our time here this afternoon. I will ask uh, uh, one of our team members to come to play the invitation. Just stand to your feet if you wouldn't mind. Just stand right you are, where you are. In just a moment, I'll ask our, our pianist to play, and I'm just going to ask her to play for a moment. And if there's some th something you need to talk to God about, I just encourage you to sit where you are and talk to God about it and just stand again, you know. We won't necessarily have a come forward invitation on this one, but if you just sense in your own heart that God's touched your heart about something, I just invite you to sit. If you do need help, you certainly know after the service we'd be doing anything we could to help you. But maybe you just need to say, you know, God, I've gotten distracted, and I'm kind of tired of it. And I, need to, I, I, want, my, I want to live a life of rest. I'm sick of living with anxiety and a lack of rest and worry. And, and I, I want everything. I want to fear lest to... Uh, that what God has for me, I come short of it, and I don't want to miss out what God has for me, and I know that it comes when we trust Him, we rest in Him. So in just a moment, the pianist will play, and I'll just ask her to play one or two stanzas, and then our pastor will close as he sees fit.